1: Jada, I've got a question for you. What's up? (laughs) If some evil scientist in a lab could engineer the worst job ever for Jada Gomez, (laughs) what would it be? Oh my gosh. The worst job I
2: could ever imagine for myself is having to hand out flyers to people on the street wearing some kind of chicken costume and just having to talk to people I don't know and hand them something they don't want.
1: Now, is it the chicken costume or is it the people that's scary? Definitely
2: the people having to just like be like a nuisance in their day, and getting rejected over and over again just sounds horrific. So you wouldn't mind the chicken costume? I mean, yeah, that's fine. I, I I could rock a chicken costume and keep my dignity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How about you? Oh, so I I think I've actually already had my worst job possible, which was a. Uh, I worked in finance, finance in my early 20s. Anna. Yeah, it's not a good fit, right? I don't I don't see finance uh-uh. Anna. Finance Anna had to get to work at 7 a.m. Whoa. Already bad fit. <laughs> she had to work with money. You know how good I am with money. You're working on it. I, yeah, I'm taking you know, baby steps. Positive. But yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm 33 now. Imagine me at 23 with money. Mm-mm. Other people's money. <laughs> that was Floss and Anna.
2: <laughs> exactly. how long was floss and anna around oh eight months okay she didn't last very long yeah not at all i like i like our current anna oh yeah i think she's found her groove oh yeah podcast anna
3: mm-hmm
2: right and speaking of podcasting anna yeah let's get to the episode Welcome to the Bustle Huddle. Today, I'm joined by quite a familiar voice, that of our producer, Anna Parsons. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. And today, we are talking about work, life,
1: balance, and lack thereof. Oh, yeah. But we're not talking about what happens when Jada has to be in a chicken suit on the street. Mm -mm. We're talking about when maybe you landed your dream job, but it didn't pan out to all that you wanted it to be, or when it starts becoming your whole life. We're talking about why so many people are talking about hustling these days. I mean, nobody that's not Rihanna or YouTuber should hustle.
2: And if you think about it, Rihanna's like not even hustling. She's on the beach with her billionaire boyfriend of choice, just living
1: her life. Yeah, that's true. She's just like the money stacking up while she's on the boat or on the beach.
2: So we know that Rihanna doesn't quite need to do the most. But ironically enough, Bustle's package, doing the most, covers Everything about work-life balance in a way that is no frills and totally attainable.
1: Yeah, I think it manages to not say the word girl boss one time. I mean, I have to admit I do have a
2: business card holder oh, no, with I'm girl boss on, on it. It's totally fine because I know I'm part of the problem <laughs> and it's where I'm most problematic. But I do like it. It's so cute.
1: If that's where you're most problematic, I think you're doing okay. Yeah,
2: I think that's probably it for me. <laughs> okay,
1: well let's get the creators into the studio we'd like to welcome lifestyle editors melanie magnucci and emma lord to the mic welcome superstars hey guys hello (laughs) thanks for thanks for coming to the pod love to hang in the podcast room i guess i'll kick off with a question. so i mean according to my guesstimation there's probably like a million articles about work-life balance out there so i want to know what makes doing the most different
0: so i think we like started off talking about doing the most from that perspective, that everyone's talking about work-life balance and everyone's just like, it's fine. You can just wake up at 3.30 in the morning to do Soul Cycle for self-care before like the rest of your day gets started. And we were like, no, that's really not sustainable for any of us. So we wanted to give people the tools to go to their managers and say, hi, this is what I need. How can you do that for me? So, like, was there anything in your past that kind
2: of influenced this? Um, I think the reason why we were super inspired to do doing the
3: most is because we've both kind of run the gamut on, like, all kinds of, like, crazy jobs from, like, retail to daycare to, like, the traditional office job to food service. You know, it's really one of those things where you can't do like a one size fits all on that situation. So you can't, you know, sometimes you can't get up and do soul cycle at 6am because your shift starts at 5am. You know, sometimes you're, you know, and, in, in, you know, in the case of when I was working daycare, the parents were like having to drop their kids off and take care of their kids and, and be, you know, accountable as a caregiver. Uh, and that's sort of, What we're trying to highlight with this was that, you know, you can't just be like, oh, here's the blanket one size fits all solution for everybody. Because, you know, in in reality, uh, work has just become the definition of it is so broad that, you know, it's it's very difficult to give any big blanket plan to any anybody like that. So you've
2: got to tell me about these jobs that got you guys up at 5 a.m.?
3: Um, for me, and I and I do have to say, none of these have been like jobs that I knew I was going to have to deal with long term. Um, but like literally from the day I turned 14, my parents were like, you can get a worker's permit, you've got a job. So it was, you know, grocery bagging after school and daycare when I was starting at 18. Uh, I worked in a big call center where it was like 40 people in one room with no windows for a little while. And uh For a long time in Nashville, I worked for a food service thing where you had to get up for a 5 a.m. shift. Um, I, you know, I worked as an assistant for a while for this kind of nightmare of a boss, uh, which I know, you know, is not at all uh, an exclusive experience.
1: Throw it over the top.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have had, I feel like Emma, you've had a little, you've like run the gamut a little bit more. I mean, I like, my first job ever was at, a children's library where I put books back on the shelf and one time uh, I had to work a Hunger Games reenactment where I like (laughs) this I was like 18 and I had I was the um like MC of the Hunger Games where like kids just like ran around the library like murdering each other um can I I
3: tattle on her really quickly if you google her name and Hunger Games the article comes up
2: (laughs) doing doing this ASAP
0: um I think my real brush with the question of work-life balance came when I had my first job out of college, where I, like Emma, was an assistant to a pretty high-powered executive. Um, You know, it was a great learning experience. And without that experience, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am today. Um, So I am grateful for that. But there were times where you know, I woke up at 6 in the morning um, on my boyfriend's birthday because one of my bosses had left their phone in an Uber. In France, and I had to get it, and I got it. Wait, uh, how? <laughs> um, someone else had like texted me, basically, uh, huh. um, and I was like, "Bonsoir,
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jacques," as someone, and it
2: worked. <laughs> as someone who had to retrieve things from a for a forgetful high-powered executive as an assistant. <laughs> props to you because that was international. I've definitely had to like find reporters notebooks and cabs and like wake up poor (laughs) cab drivers to give me this silly book that someone left. But hey, we made it on the other side.
0: We made it on the other side. I think when you're starting out in your career, like some level of that is kind of like you kind of can understand it. Um, But I think it was really an opportunity for me to be like, what makes me feel fulfilled at my job, what makes me feel like I'm doing the job that
1: needs to be done. So it was an interesting experience in that way. Another thing I love about doing the most is that you guys didn't keep it to your own experiences. You actually polled 283 Bustle readers about their work-life balance as well.
0: Yeah. So um, with the help of BDG's Director of Research and Insight, Danny Teudo, we polled like 283 readers Mm -hmm. uh, between the ages of 18 and 34 to see sort of how they felt about their own work-life balance but also how things are different from when you're just starting out in your career when you're 18 to 24-ish to when you're a little bit more established 25-ish to 34-ish.
1: Oh so I actually pulled Dani into the studio the other day to have her break down what she thought the most surprising results of the study were.
2: I'm so excited about this. I always want to pick her brain.
5: Hi, my name is Danny Thibodeau, and I am Director of Research and Insight at the Bustle Trends Group. A couple months ago, some of our editors came to Bustle Trends Group and wanted to do a survey about work-life balance in our proprietary community called the BDG Hive. And really what we found is that a lot of times we hear in the media that millennial women are maybe lazy or they're bad with finances but this survey really disproved that finding that you know a fifth of women actually work more than one job and we also asked them just really if work-life balance is something that they're struggling with and definitely more prevalent among 18 to 24 versus 25 to 34. And I feel like that kind of makes sense because when you're younger, you feel like you have to work really hard. You have to be at the office 13, 14 hours a day just to show your worth. And then when we had asked women more about how they feel in terms of asking to set boundaries for themselves for work-life balance. Most of them said that they would rather quit their job uh, than setting those boundaries because it was easier for them since they were nervous to talk to their supervisors about it. Again, they didn't want to seem like someone who was difficult to work with or someone who wasn't working hard. They felt like it was just better for them to go somewhere else and start fresh and maybe establish rules then, as opposed to being in a situation where they felt like they didn't have work-life balance and then trying to change their current situation.
3: When we were looking through the data, we'd noticed that, uh, Overwhelmingly, when people were describing either why they felt like they didn't have work life balance or the thing that stopped them from advocating for it was fear. Uh, they, there were just so many synonyms for the word fear. It was like fear, anxiety, worry, terrifying. Somebody used the word terrifying. You know, it just was a lot of talk about just bridging that gap between knowing what you want,
1: but like being too scared to ask for it. Yeah, Danny's point that people would rather quit their jobs than have these conversations to make it better is a fear-driven response yeah. if I've ever seen one. That might be such a natural response that people aren't even
2: realizing that they're making in their heads, but it's really troubling when you see when you
0: hear it.
1: Oh, I mean, I'm guilty of it for sure. I'm guilty of it even here. I think a lot
0: of it comes down to, and this was something we saw in the results from the survey, as well as like talking to experts throughout this package, was that You know, a lot of it comes down to not having the tools to be in those closed door negotiations um, and say, hey, my coworker at my same level makes this. Why am I making that, you know?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I know you're a big fan of salary transparency, right? Huge. (laughs) Fan. Big Big ups. Big (laughs) Big ups to salary transparency. (laughs) We (laughs) stand. I I think that there's a misconception that, a lot of people still think you can get fired for knowing other people's salaries or for disclosing your own. So
0: it is illegal to forbid your employees to uh, talk about their salary, but it's so little known and it's so baked into a lot of company cultures that especially in a lot of at will states, people can say like, oh, well, you're fired for poor performance and not for this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Th- I know someone that that happened to. Oh, like, my God. Yeah. I feel like that there's a lot of silence baked into work culture overall. You know, this there's this pressure to be performing without seeing the work that goes in behind the scenes or in a lot of cases, the very real pain that goes in behind the scenes. We had an essay um, in this package from Iman Hariri Kia, an associate dating editor over on Elite Daily, about how like faking it till you make it with work-life balance literally made her sick.
2: And speaking of Iman, you, Melanie, got to interview her about this piece a couple weeks ago.
0: I did, I did get to chat with her about it. Ooh, let's play it.
4: When I graduated college, I started in a position at a, I guess, media company is what you would say, where the role was an administrative assistant position. It was a bit above my experience level but because they needed to fill the role quickly, I ended up starting with almost no time to really reflect upon what I was getting into. It was at a company that I respected and like cherished my entire life. I was around people who I admired, working in a building that I had always imagine myself walking into with, like, a coffee in one hand and bags in the other. Um, (laughs) Like Emily in The I felt uh,
0: not Anne Hathaway.
4: I was never going to be Anne in my... I was always going to be the Emily in my head. Um, Luckily, you don't get to control those narratives in real life, although that won't keep me from trying forever. Ah. Um, But... No, I always had pictured myself doing a job similarly to this, and I came in with like a bit of naivete about what my role would look like there. So by the time I was starting, I couldn't even fathom the extent to which my life would begin to revolve around my work, but I wanted to impress and please more than I've wanted out anything in my life. I would stay at the office as late as I could. I would come in early to prep for the day. And when I was like quote unquote off hours, I'd have my phone in one hand, my eyes like peering over to see if I was getting any texts or calls from my boss. I started basically having, like, crazy stress dreams.
0: You also experienced a lot of physical symptoms. Yes.
4: I started contracting and stress rash in my inner joints. And I had never had a history with, like, eczema or anything before. And it got to the point where I would, like, be scratching until I was bleeding. And, like, I wouldn't, like, take medication or ointment because, like, I— didn't want to stop itching. I had no desire to stop because it was helping me manage how anxious I was.
0: Oh my god. And
4: I kind of dismissed the entire thing and said that, you know, it was the original like diagnosis. It was just eczema. I'd be fine. Also like who cares about a rash? I could hide it under clothing. It's like so inconsequential to like the rest of my life, which is my job.
0: But you had a pretty serious breaking point physically. I did.
4: I had Several different diagnoses that followed the stress rash, uh, which included some issues with my menstrual cycle. Yeah, uh, that resulted in me finding out that I had triggered like a strain of HPV that I had been carrying, and when I realized that it had been triggered by the stress, um, I started to take other things into consideration. Another example would be my digestion. I have several different digestive illnesses that I manage. I have celiac disease and I have gastroparesis. So while I was in that job, my medication stopped working because when you carry stress physically, oftentimes it'll manifest itself in the places that are already the weakest. Mm-hmm. And I started getting sick all the time. So it was this was really hard to manage at work. I, there was a rule at the time that I couldn't be in the bathroom or I couldn't be away from my desk 15 minutes before or after a meeting, which was very difficult for me to follow because oftentimes meetings were back to back to back. And so I would t- I wasn't allowed to use the, the restroom ever really. And on top of that, it was really hard for me to take off time from work to go to the doctor. So I eventually actually had to go to my boss. And be like, I am didn't tell you, but I have this illness, and I need to take like an hour to go see my doctor because it's keeping me from doing my job as well as I possibly could. So I finally went and got an endoscopy done, explained what was happening, and she told me that because of the amount of stress I was under, my condition had worsened and my medication had stopped working. So I. Had to try out a bunch of new medications, which really affected, like, my blood sugar levels and made me super lethargic, and my hormones were out of whack. And it's like, if I wasn't crying enough before, now I was, like, really crying all the time. It just made everything so much worse. And then, finally, I had my first panic attack, which I didn't really even realize was a panic attack. Um, because I never had one before Um, after a particularly terrible meeting with my boss in which I cried in front of her and she basically told me like you know I wish I could make you feel better but I can't because you're completely right and all of the things you're worried about are true and I was just like cool. and then I left work and completely had a breakdown Um, I couldn't breathe I was shaking so hard I was Weak at the knees, crying uncontrollably. I just felt like I was dying. And I sat down with my boyfriend who basically asked me if doing this job was worth like having moments like this.
0: Mm -hmm. As you
4: write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
0: But eventually, you know, you have to make the leap for your own your own health literally what was ultimately that catalyst i guess the
4: catalyst would be having another panic attack in the bathroom at work because the previous panic attack i had 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 been sort of private but the second one because i actually i was like washing my hands and i fainted while i was washing my hands and when i came to it was just like imagine coming to and just seeing all of the people that you idolize and admire just like peering down at you like trying to figure out if you're alive and realizing what had happened and just being like this is a nightmare this isn't real and wanting to just get back to doing your job but they called like the building security and the police and the emt and all of a sudden everyone's there and your boss is like rubbing your back and telling you everything's gonna be okay and you're like you're the reason i'm crying (laughs) (laughs) and everything is just ending and so i just like went home and pretended it was like a regular day and at that point i was like this is out of body like this is not anything you've encountered before like this is not something you can control it's like time to go this is not getting better like I started mentally listing all the parts of my life that would get better if I ended up leaving the job. I knew that I had to make that decision. When I quit my job, I didn't have another job lined up, and I was still so young. I was worried that, you know, it'd be hard to get referrals or I'd be blacklisted. What I had to do in order to get back into the business that I wanted ultimately to be in was to fall into a position that on paper, look might have looked like a step down, but in actuality, was so much of a step up and so much of a step in the right direction. I owe a lot to the people that I met um, in my previous job and along the way who have advocated for me and who have seen things in me that I haven't seen at the time. So I just want to be clear that you know I didn't get to where I am and I didn't like recover in the way that I did alone. Sometimes asking for help is a lot scarier than making it on your own, but it pays off in ways that I can't even describe.
0: What would you say is your advice for people starting out either in their first job or in a new field um, to navigate what is kind of a toxic level of work life, lack of balance, so to speak?
4: Well, I think that oftentimes it's it's easy for us to compare where we are in our careers to our peers and feel like we aren't working hard enough or haven't reached a certain peak that we should have. And my one advice is, you know, maybe you don't need to become a better version of yourself. Maybe you are exactly the version of yourself you need to be right now. And if the job that you're in makes you feel otherwise if you have the means and you feel like you're in a place where if you have essentially the privilege to be able to reevaluate that position do so in a way that takes into account your own health and your own happiness so make sure that you're prioritizing yourself because you know nobody else is going to be looking out for you the way that you will
1: Okay between the Amon interview and the stories that Jada and Mel have talked about being assistants, I feel like um the Devil wears Prada is a documentary.
2: Imagine that as a documentary like I would be queuing that like crazy.
0: Oh, I would never watch
2: that. <laughs> you know what? I might just watch an episode
0: and just feel like I couldn't. It would just bring me back to a sad place I, I would I would just press pause, <laughs> slam my computer down, walk into the Hudson, never return.
1: <laughs> Dude, another reason I'm so, like, grateful for Amon's story is because I'm always preaching, like, mind-body connection stuff. Because mm. I, at the very top of the episode, Jada and I talked about my very short foray in finance. I was so stressed out that eventually I couldn't, like, stand up straight because my back hurt so much. Um, I was having to go to a physical therapist who would, like, give me um, steroid shots in my back. Wow. And as soon as I quit that job completely vanished only came back when I had like a bad boyfriend in my early 30s
0: (laughs) yeah I feel like the mind-body connection is so real and we just don't we don't talk about it enough I think this is one thing I love about Iman's piece in particular is that you know we have we're starting you know with the whole wellness movement to have a lot more of a I keep coming back to this term but we keep having a lot more um knowledge about what's happening in our bodies and a lot more awareness of it and like being able to put words to what's happening is very powerful.
1: Yeah and another thing is like I feel like the whole work-life balance conversation in doing the most at least doesn't seem to be focused on long hours it's more so how the overall experience makes you feel.
0: Especially because so much of what we're talking about in doing the most is about how the concept of a nine to five is really not a thing anymore um, at least in at least in our environment, at least in our country.
1: Actually, if you want to learn about the work-life balance in other countries, um, our very own J.R. Thorpe wrote an article based off the Better Life Index where she compares work-life balance around the world. And I got to call her up and talk about that. You write for Bustle, so you write for a digital media publication. You're excuse me while I butcher this, a librettist.
6: Yep, which means I write texts for opera singers to sing and I write lyrics for um, so for singers and groups.
1: Um, you're a novelist. And am I missing anything? Uh, I also
6: do some copywriting sometimes.
1: Wow, so yeah. you're juggling three, no, four jobs at once, which kind of makes you perfect for doing the most, I gotta say. And um, on top of that... You're also navigating being an Australian living and working in Ireland, right?
6: I am. I'm an Australian working in Ireland for an American company.
1: Wow. So that's, um, how did that affect the the piece that you wrote about work-life balance around the world? I imagine that you've seen quite a few different executions. I have,
6: yeah. I'm part of this kind of movement of transnational workers who can work anywhere. But we do get little hints of the different countries that we work in and we work for.
1: So what hints have you gotten working for an American company, especially since you're more used to Australia and, say, Ireland?
6: The thing about the way that I work is that I work on my own. Um, so so a lot of my experience is based on, you know, people that I meet in cafes or stuff like that, because I don't share a workplace with other people. Um, I mean, the big difference that I find between America and other places as a working woman is I feel a lot more comfortable talking to my bosses at bustle about my salary or my mental health or and partly that's because bustle is really welcoming of those conversations but partly I think it's also that the UK and I think to some extent maybe Ireland and Australia are still a bit resistant to slightly more taboo conversations
1: well have your have your friends or your partner have they commented on perhaps the work ethic that you show for your American job
6: I mean (laughs) A lot of my friends are academics, and that is in its own way Um, basically like having multiple side hustles all at once. And, you know, I have a PhD, and everyone I know who also has a PhD has the same sort of perspective, which is that if you're working on your own, you have to manage yourself. So, I mean, for me, there are two kind of cultural factors at play, and one is the cultural factors of where I work, and the other is – being a freelancer and how much that relies on just being really strict with yourself and being like no now you are going to work for two hours otherwise you don't get biscuits
1: (laughs) it's it's literally that basic part of me like really glamorizes the freelance lifestyle especially one that would like allow you to travel like Mm. cross borders here we have a name for it that's probably going to make you roll your eyes if you haven't heard it before. A digital nomad. Oh, God. Yeah, I have heard that before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I've met several digital nomads. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, it's
6: it's it's great in a lot of senses, but it's also it's hugely insecure. You know, I don't have sick leave. I don't have paid vacation leave. I don't have fundamental stability in my working life. And while I have a lot of, you know, great opportunities, I also don't have the regularity of, okay, I know what I'm going to pay on my taxes this year.
1: Yeah. And I wonder like, is this, so I sometimes wonder if people are making these choices on their own or whether or not it's a market driven, you know, trend, you know, less full-time positions, yeah, more contract positions, and is it happening as much over in Europe as it is here? Um
6: I think so. I think there's kind of a global movement, particularly for young, very educated workers, to have kind of more fragmented working life. I mean for the for Americans in particular, you know, you guys have student debt and the financial crash, and so millennials have, have to work really hard, basically to um, to feel stable at all. but it definitely yeah, it definitely feels like, in all the countries that I've been to and that I've worked in, there is a large community of people like me who are young and doing a lot.
1: Speaking of countries, let's switch gears to the article you wrote for Bustle based on the Better Life Indexes study about work-life balance around the world, um, I heard that you were pretty surprised by Australia's results.
6: Yeah, it is 32nd overall uh, for for, um, work-life.
1: Wow, so why is it 32nd on the list? Uh,
6: Basically, it seems like Australians are pretty happy overall. We have a higher level of happiness about our working lives than the OECD average, but we work incredibly hard and we don't spend as much time as we should on leisure activities which is completely the opposite of the international perception of Australia.
1: Yeah, it but really is.
6: we're actually a country that is pushing ourselves slightly too hard it seems um, like well, worse than the US.
1: Is that because of logistics? I believe you guys have a population of what 20 million on a very large landmass?
6: Yeah, I think a lot of it is uh, right now the economy is booming um, and it's also kind of a cultural thing that uh, working very hard is seen as kind of idealised. But, it, you know, I think also people possibly, because everyone takes it for granted that we're kind of a relaxed nation, they don't pay attention to this stuff like they should. They just assume that everything is as it should be, when actually they probably should be paying a bit more attention to their personal work-life balance.
1: So, for people who haven't read your piece or looked at the Good Life Index yet, um, which country had the best work-life balance?
6: Uh, the Netherlands. Uh, the Dutch came out on top, and mm. company, and countries like Sweden and other Northern European countries tended to round out the the top.
1: Yeah, it's always Northern Europe. Every it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> year after year. You know, it's funny because here in America, we've shined such a spotlight on the work-life balance ideals in Northern Europe, but I always wonder if they're actually attainable for countries, say, like the U.S. and Australia, where, you know, our societies are are far, far different. Well, I mean, if
6: you look at um, the common factors for a lot of the countries at the very top of the Better Life Index, or that have certain elements that make them, you know, better than others, it's often to do with societal structures of support. So stuff like uh, governmentally guaranteed maternity leave or paternity leave or government-funded child care and sick leave. And that stuff is very embedded in the working life of places like the Netherlands. Whereas in places like the US, where those safety nets don't exist, people have to kind of hustle to make sure that they take care of themselves.
1: It kind of makes you feel... I don't know. My first thought is, I don't want to say hopeless, but it's like, how do we start to implement those structures that are up to our government to put in place?
6: I know. I mean, in, in good news, I mean, apparently, according to the OECD, who produced the Better Life Index, gender equality is also really important for good work-life balance because it means that working mothers can go back to work and women can have jobs that they feel that they're capable of, you know, negotiating with and things like that. And in those areas, you know, the story in the US is a bit better because, you know, it's quite a gender equal country compared to others. Obviously it's not, you know, as as brilliant as as other places. So don't give up hope, but also, you know, recognize that there are certain structures that would make it a bit better.
1: So here's a question from my producer, Michaela. Um, She was lucky enough to study abroad in Spain, and she really loved their emphasis on leisure, on taking a break. But um, a lot of her, her colleagues and her peers would say, oh, well, look, their economy is tanking. Um, what would you say to that? Do you think that in order for a country to be economically successful, that its citizens have to place more value on hustle and long work hours? Is it is it really one or the other?
6: I mean, the short answer to that is is no. Um, the longer answer is looking at the data from several different perspectives. Um, the Netherlands and other countries at the very highest end of the OECD uh, data, you know, they have very low work hours per week and very good work-life balance. And also have very healthy economies. And research has actually shown that better work-life balance is really good for productivity for the labour force. Because it helps people stay in work longer. It helps them, you know, maximise their work hours because they're happy and they're not constantly worrying. There is recognisable data to show that actually hustling and suffering is worse for the economy than having a good work-life balance. And Japan is actually the kind of the flip side of this because it's famously got a really, really high emphasis culturally on very, very long work hours. It's changing now, but for many decades, people would put in huge amounts of overtime. But, you know, the country still went through the huge crash in the 1990s and, you know, it's possibly facing a recession now. And labor is only one small ingredient in economic health, but we now know that work-life balance doesn't mean that an economy will necessarily always be okay. And it's actually better for everyone if people are able to switch off and able to go, okay, I'm not working anymore now, which is really interesting and also a really big motivator for employers to be like, okay, how do I help people feel more balanced? Because then they will give me better numbers, you know.
1: I think, I think so much of creativity and innovation come out of being happy and having a life outside of work. So,
6: yeah. And it's in, I think a lot of people think, oh my God, I'm not being, you know, I'm not getting the most success I possibly could because I'm not working like 24 hours a day. And millennials, I think are particularly prone to that. Like we have been told, you know, success is about really, really hard grinding and it's not necessarily, you know, it, if we have better work-life balance, we become better workers and we become better at life. That's what the data says. So, uh, I know. So
1: everybody, everybody, close your laptops right now. <laughs> That's yeah. how we should close this interview, right?
6: Everybody, that, take it. Everybody... everybody,
1: take a deep breath. Yeah, and go and sit outside. i get the day off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ji. You're very
6: welcome.
1: The Bustle Huddle
2: is produced by Anna Parsons. That's me. That's her. So and Michaela Leck, with help and love from Roseanne Salvatore. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And definitely leave us reviews on iTunes because we'd love to get your feedback. You can also reach us at huddle at dot com. I'm your host, Jada Gomez, and I will see you next week. Bye.